You are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law, marketing, and practice development. So welcome. Today, I am continuing my conversation with Kristen M. Gibbons-Fedden, but switching gears. So the last podcast, we talked with her a little bit about elder abuse and recognizing signs preventing elder abuse. Um, so today, we're switching gears and talking about time management and finding balance. Um, So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kristen, and you will hear why she is the perfect person to be discussing this topic with today. Um, So Kristen is a nationally acclaimed litigator and concentrates her practice on institutional responses to sexual and gender-based harassment and abuse, ethical concerns, discrimination, and other misconduct. She's an associate attorney with Stradley Ronan in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, prior to joining Stradley Ronan, Kristen served as the captain of the Elder Abuse and Domestic Violence Units, as well as a member of the Sex Crimes Unit at the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office in Pennsylvania. As an assistant district attorney of Montgomery County, she regularly obtained convictions in a varying amount of cases, so physical and sexual abuse cases, domestic violence, homicide, child pornography, elder abuse, financial exploitation, assault, and other types of cases. Um, So Kristen's most notable case was the Commonwealth versus William H. Cosby, where she played a critical role in the first trial, which resulted in a hung jury, and the second trial where conviction was attained. So in both cases, um, Kristen played a vital role. In the first trial, she delivered the opening statement, and in the second trial, she cross-examined key witnesses and delivered the closing argument. So Kristen, as elder law attorneys, really just as attorneys, we juggle so much on a day-to-day basis. Um, And you of all people understand this. You're a wife, a mom, an attorney, activist, and yet you still find time to stay involved in your community and local organizations. Um, So like I said, you're the perfect person to be speaking with on this topic. (laughs) Um, So, you know, when we talk about attorneys and being busy and juggling everything, Are attorneys really busier than other professionals? What are the statistics on lawyers? You know, I don't know that they're necessarily busier, um, but I think one of the key issues that that is that I think is really important is that you know being a lawyer is a difficult job. It is high stress, and again, it's not to minimize any other career path, um, but lawyer being a lawyer is high stress. Um, You know, lawyers are two to four times more likely than other professions to, to have some sort of addiction. Um, during the first year of first 10 years of practice, lawyers have the highest rate among other professions of addiction. Um, and I think that's really important and it kind of just um, highlights how stressful this, this field is. Additionally, lawyers are four times as depressed as the general population. So when you look at statistics like that, um, I think it's really kind of gives you some evidence of how stressful this profession really is. Yeah. So why do you think, what goes into that, you know, why are attorneys more depressed? What's going on in our lives that is causing that? Well, I think it also depends on what type of 
uh, law you are in. Mm -hmm. Um, but regardless of the field of law, you know, as you climb up that professional ladder, whether you're in government or whether you're in uh, private practice, as you go towards partnership, or if you want to be the captain of, uh, some type of team that you're on, whether you're in the solicitor's office or the district attorney's office, Mm -hmm. you know, any type of climbing the ladder to gain that management role or gaining more autonomy over your work um, really requires hard work. You're put under the microscope daily, but not only by your clients, but by your superiors as well. And within the legal profession, there's competition that's involved as well. So quite frankly, when you have billable hours or when you are you know, like most governmental ser- uh, public servants, whether you are overworked and underpaid, regardless of what field of law you are in, Um, you're always going to be under the microscope and you're always going to have someone to really answer to, whether it be the public or whether it be your partners or a client. Um, And that carries with it such high stress Mm -hmm. that I think that explains why lawyers as a whole have a high addiction rate or high depression rate. Mm -hmm. So Kristen, with your busy life, right? And (laughs) and you're managing everything. What are the tricks that you have come up with? I'm so interested to know how you are managing it all. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, it's interesting because I think any um, parent, any person in a high stress job, any person whose job doesn't end, you know, at a certain time, any deadline based job um, has these same issues. And it is tough to balance your work and your life. But mm-hmm. I think some things that have really helped me is first, you know, picking an environment where you know others will respect that work-life balance. For example, uh, Stradley Ronan, where I work, um, where I went from the district attorney's office to Stradley Ronan, you know, the partners are very respectful of that work-life balance. They themselves take it. Um, so I think it's really key to make sure that if work-life balance is really important to you, that you really take the time to research that prior to diving into a law firm or um, that particular office. You have to look at upper management and look at what their priorities are. Because if they don't line up with yours, chances are that work-life balance that you're seeking is not going to be um, consistent with what they're expecting from you. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, I think it's really important for people to be realistic about what their work life entails, what their work goals are, and what that work life balance um, would look like. For example, I once had a friend who's in a very large law firm um, tell me, look, you know, I'm really, I love my kids. I get to go to many, may not all, but many of their social activities. But look, I'll never be the class mom because I just can't, I can't give out much time. Now, I'll tell you, I was the class mom. Um, I just stopped my stint because I was the (laughs) class mom all last academic year, um, which would have been the 2018-2019 academic year for my oldest son. And that was such a challenge. Um, But again, you know, if you have other people who can kind of help you out, I told them when I took on the role of class mom, look, it's got to be class parents. My husband's going to have to help out because I can't do it on my own. (laughs) Right. So you want to be realistic about your goals. If you do want to be that class mom or class dad, maybe your spouse uh, or your your grandparent or some other caregiver can assist you so that you can make that dream more realistic or that goal. The other thing I think is very, very difficult for me. um, But the other thing I think has really helped is learning to say no. 
Yeah. A lot of times, um, particularly when you're new in the profession or if you change professions like I did, I went from criminal law into the civil practice um, in from one job to another job where people don't really know me and they don't mm-hmm. necessarily view me. And I've been there for quite some time now. So I'm really talking about when I started there. Right. You don't know your work ethic. And so a lot of times you don't want to say no. You want to prove to them you're as great as you always have been. But it's important to say no. You know, it's important to put down your phone maybe during uh, dinner time when you're talking to your spouse. It's not just about kids. Right. When you're talking to your spouse or significant other or friend, um, it's important to take that time out. Go out for a drink or maybe not a drink, just dinner with a friend. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're really enjoying your life. Take that vacation. You know, I think that's huge. Another key thing is committing to healthy habits. Um, I know when I'm super stressed, I don't eat well. I don't exercise as often as I should, yeah. you know, I don't do the socializing because I'm just so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's key because when you eat well, you have more energy. When you get in that great night rest, you are at your best mental, you know, abilities. So I think those are some of the really big, important things to be cognizant of. Yeah. Um, What about time management tools? I mean, so, I mean, we're talking about all this different balancing and keep keeping track of schedules. I know with me, I struggle with keeping track of the work calendar and the personal calendar. And then as your kids get older, they have activities and maybe um, for other attorneys, you know, they're trying to get to grandchildren events. How do you keep track of all of that? How do you manage your time? Yeah, that to me has been the biggest difficulty of all. (laughs) Um, But I think one thing is important, and this has kind of helped me, is, you know, one thing is to remember you're human, okay? Mm -hmm. You may miss something, and it's okay. Life is still going to go on, and you know what? A year from then, you're not going to remember that you missed that, you know, event or whatever it was that, you know, didn't make its way into the calendar. Um, But in terms of time management, one thing that I struggle with is because I work um, during the day, and I think maybe share this with other parents, but I have sometimes a guilty mom syndrome where I feel like I need to spend every waking moment of free time with my children. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll pack in all of those birthday parties. I don't want my kid to miss out on anything. Right. But it is important to realize that those weekends are your safety spots. Um, That's where you have that opportunity to really take a break. And so perhaps three birthday parties in one day is... (sighs) unrealistic, you know, particularly if you have more than one child and you got one birthday party over here, one birthday party for the other child, or if your child is in multiple activities, they may have a birthday party from this set of friends and an afternoon birthday party on that set of friends. Mm -hmm. So one thing I think is really important is to prioritize what Mm -hmm. you think would be the best way to manage your time in your free time, but also managing your time um, for your work as well, because you want to make sure that you get your deadlines in, but that you're also not waiting to the last minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I once had, um, when I was first starting out in the law practice and a new mom, I had um, a female, another female attorney tell me that it's all about quality, not quantity with spending time for your kids and with your family. And I guess that could be applied in other relationships as well. Well, you know, making sure that you're fully there and present when you are spending time with your family. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. How do you do that? What do you do personally to make sure? I mean, nowadays with technology, you have your phone, your email, your, you know, your watch that's dinging with the different emails (laughs) that are coming on. How do you disconnect? How do you make sure you are fully there for your family? 
That is such a huge thing, I think, because it goes both ways too, right, Rebecca? Mm -hmm. You want to be fully there, but you also want your kids to be fully there. And I know with iPads and cartoons and movie theaters and all these things, you know, that kids just love to do, um, it's really important, I found, um, like you said, to do that quality versus quantity. So when I do spend time with my kids, I do put the phone over there. I keep the, I put my, I find that that's the time to charge my watch. You know, mm-hmm. um, I will put away all of those things because the other issue is when you're on your phone trying to give still quality time to your kids. And then the, I have younger kids, mine are five and seven. So <laughs> yeah. every other na- every other word out their mouth is mommy. It's mommy, 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 you know? <laughs> and so in order to even minimize my own frustration, it's important for me to physically be there as well. So I got to put down the phone. I put down the emails. I will put down everything, but then equally I make them put down their phones or not their phones. I'm sorry. They don't have phones, but they do have iPads that they love to watch. And though, we have family nights, so we will watch like a movie together. I don't really allow them to watch movies or do screen time, as we call it, during the week because that's our time. You know, when I get home, I only have about two or three hours with my kids before they're off to bed. So we mm-hmm. make sure we try to eat dinner together. We do games. We play chess. We play cards. My favorite is Uno. You know, and I think <laughs> when you're engaged, it's easier to put that phone down and not have your mind wander into oh my goodness, what if this person emails me or needs me? Because again, you're going to connect back in probably within the next couple of hours. Um, Right. So people can wait. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and we talk about technology too as being a negative as far as interrupting our quality time. But technology, I always say I couldn't do what I do without technology, with the ability to plug in remotely, get things done later in the night. What are some tools that you have used to kind of implement better technology in your life to balance everything? Absolutely. Like you said, the one key thing, I have two key things that I think have really helped me um, technologically. One is that ability to remote in. Because if my son, um, the other day, my son had a horse camp. My, my little one is obsessed with horses. So there was this horse camp and it's only a week long. It's not even a full week. It's only four days long. Um, and I wanted to see one of those days. Um, so what I do is I woke up a little extra early, I remoted in and then I took that whole morning off. We went to go have breakfast and then we went to horse camp, you know, and the kids were so happy that mommy was there watching that horse camp. And then when I got, when they were done with horse camp, they went over to my mom's house and I was able to remote back in. I would not have been able to be that productive and efficient if Mm -hmm. I didn't have that ability to remote in and access, you know, different client records from the, um, from my home. Right. So I think that's really important. The other thing is sometimes my job requires me to travel and I don't know what I would do if I couldn't talk and or see my kids on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So with FaceTime and Skype and all these different technological advances, I am able to see my kids. They are able to see me. They are able to say, hi, mom, I love you. I'm still able if I'm, you know, 300 miles away to read them that bedtime story and do what it is that I want to do with them. So that is huge. Great. Now, what about, I mean, we've talked a lot about like managing our personal lives um, with our work lives, but even within 
you know, our work environment. We have all these different pools. So we have, you know, client work that we need to get done, client development, trying to market ourselves and build up our client base. But then we have practice development, you know, CLEs and speaking engagements. Um, How do you prioritize that? How do you figure out what is worthwhile for your time and what, like you said, you need to say no to? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. That has been such a struggle for me. And I have had really great colleagues at Stradley and great family support who has kind of mentored and helped counsel me into, okay, well, what, when shall I say yes? When should I say no? And I found what is most um, effective for me is saying yes to those things that I want to do. Like in terms of community, like obviously if a client needs something, that's, you know, I have to say yes. Um, but if it's a client development or a professional development or something like that, it's easier for me to say it's, I want to always say yes, but if I don't think that I can personally benefit from it, or I, it's not a passion of mine, then I've got to say no. Um, for example, I do a lot of speaking engagements, particularly, um, for the different passions that I have, you know, Mm -hmm. eliminating sexual assault and sexual abuse, particularly for children or for elders and all of the other community, um, social activities that I'm engaged in. I like doing those things. So they're not a chore for me. Um, so it's easy for me to say yes to those. Um, The other thing that I think I I have been trying to do is kind of looking at my calendar before I say yes, Mm -hmm. because if I am, you know, busy with depositions, then perhaps the last thing I want to do is go and engage in a community talk or presentation um, that evening. Or if I have a marketing event on one of my five evenings of a work week, and I know that I want to have dinner with my kids a majority of those days, then perhaps I'll say no, because I don't want every evening to be eaten up through client development. So right. those are some things that I kind of look at. I look at my calendar and I look at what um, those particular activities will do for my own personal growth. And whether it's because I have a passion towards it or whether I think it could propel me professionally, that helps me in making that decision. Yeah. Now, I mean, you talked and touched a little bit on family support system and how, you know, you and your husband are helping each other and you have family and friends. I know I have found one of the biggest things early on in my career was this accepting help. You know, you want to do it all. Like we talked about, you want to be there for the kids. You want to do everything at the office. Um, What kind of things have you found, you know, when you're looking at both professionally and personally, where have you realized, hey, like maybe this should be delegated or maybe I need to accept help in these different areas? Yeah. So in terms of the kids, I think one of the biggest things is just allowing my mother-in-law and my mother, I'm very, very fortunate. Both of them are within five minutes. One's within five minute walk, one's within a five minute drive. Um, and so my parents have played a crucial role in my kids, you know, helping, helping me out, um, as well as my mother-in-law. And I also have, you know, my siblings are in the area as well. It can be very difficult, you know, if you're a working mom to have, you know, other people in your life who are also taking that reign and helping to raise your children. Um, and I think that's difficult, um, but just accepting that help and knowing that, you know, you're always going to be mom or dad or, you know, caregiver, um, but that they can also share within the raising of your child as well. I think that is huge. 
um, not just, you know, parents, but it could be siblings. Like I said, your aunt, your uncle. And I think also it helps with, I'm big on family. So it also makes me kind of feel good that my kids are around their family. They love seeing their grandparents. They love seeing their cousins. Um, so that's huge. Yeah. Another area that I think is huge as well is delegating. And that's something that has always been difficult for me is learning when to delegate certain tasks. Um, in the DA's office, it was easier for me to delegate because I was I didn't have billables, right? Um, mm -hmm. So the more I delegate in the private profession is less hours that I particularly, I specifically can bill. Um, but again, when you have a lot of tasks to, to get done and there's another associate who would be would really benefit from being able to draft that report that you would then look at and review before it you know gets handed to the client then you're not only helping with the professional development of a colleague or an associate but you're also getting one more thing off of your plate um right. to kind of help you to right. focus on other areas of your own one professional development two client development but also other tasks um, or client work that you may have to get done as well so those are some of the things that I think are really helpful in accepting help and being okay with it. Uh, a lot of times we want to just do things ourselves, but accepting help, I think, builds to the team. It helps with diversity of thought. Um, and it really helps, I think, with your own level of sanity. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now, Kristen, I would be amiss if I didn't come back and ask you a question about the Cosby case. Um, so sure. I wanted to just ask you, you know, for our listeners, I mean, that case, um, you know, I would say, and you probably would agree, one of the biggest cases so far of your career. Absolutely. What was, what was your biggest takeaway or the biggest thing that you learned from prosecuting that case? Interestingly, um, I learned a lot from prosecuting that case. I have a really... Um, I, I really enjoyed my time at the prosecutor's office. I loved the rewarding work that I did. But again, I knew that from all of the cases that I that I would I I um I prosecuted. Um one thing that I realized um was just how important and supportive my family really is. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I go through life uh, as a prosecutor and as an associate at Stradley Ronan, um, kind of always being able to, hey mom what did you cook? You know, I'm coming yeah. over for dinner. Hey mom, can you watch the kids? Great. I'm outside, you know, but right. when you are kind of in a very large case like that, where mm -hmm. you have a large team, so your time isn't necessarily as flexible or as defined, um, you really see who kind of, you know, has your back when you're at your most highest level of stress. Um, you kind of see who's willing to give you that important and sometimes very critical feedback that you need to hear to make you a better person. So one of the things that I learned from that case is that I know that my family and my friends will truly be there for me through my most stressful periods when I'm working, you know. Um, right. So that was one of the hugest takeaways. Um, the other thing I realized was the importance of managing your time. Yeah. The first trial, between the first trial and the second trial, there were certain priorities that I, that I, there were certain things that I prioritized in the first trial that I had to reprioritize for the second mm -hmm. trial because I saw mm -hmm. the effects of me working, you know, all day that it had on my children. And so, mm -hmm. you know, there were certain times where, you know, I had to go home and I can plug in and I can do motions right. from home and I can draft them from home, but I gotta be there at six o'clock because my kids wanna have dinner with me. Uh, I wanna put them to bed. 
So those were things that I had to reprioritize, um, you know, knowing that they existed, but kind of seeing the case as uh, limited. So I kind of right. threw my whole self into that case, but then I realized, yeah. oh, it's a hung jury. We're doing this again. <laughs> great. You know, I commend Kevin Steele for even making that decision. But again, right. that, you know, things aren't necessarily finite. And whether it's a big case being tried twice or whether it's one big project and another big project, I think it's really important to identify your priorities, know who you can rely upon. Um, and that way you can always, always, always be able to um, know what's important to you and manage your time wisely. Great. Well, Kristen, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, they have questions. Um, is there a way that they can reach you? Absolutely. All of my all of my um, information, my email, my phone number, everything is on my um, firm website. So if you Google Kristen Fedden, and that's F as in Frank, E-D-E-N, um, and Stradley Ronan, you'll find my profile. My email is kfedden, K-F-E-D-E-N, at stradley.com. And my Twitter is at KG Fedden. Well, thank you all for listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to like it and share it with a friend or colleague. Please subscribe on iTunes and find all of our past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.